as you turn in your Bible to John chapter 3. We've been exploring the Gospel of John uh, this year in 2022, and uh, we've made it to verse 1 of chapter 3. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of the traits of the twice-born. Most of us know founding father Benjamin Franklin as the face of the $100 bill. Not only was Benjamin Franklin a great statesman and an inventor, but during his time he was also a great correspondent who received letters from famous people all over the world. One of Ben Franklin's pen pals was the preacher George Whitfield, who was by far the most popular preacher in both America and Great Britain at the end of the 18th century. In fact, Whitfield's influence upon America cannot be understated, uh, for it was his fiery revivals held in the colonies that sparked the first great awakening, which led, of course, to the development of these United States. Now, as many of you may know, Ben Franklin was not what you would call a Bible-toting Baptist, although he was a self-described deist. He at least believed in a creator God. And at first, Ben Franklin considered George Whitfield to be a phony huckster, a snake oil salesman, if you will. And he didn't think much of the preacher until one day he had the opportunity to hear him in person. And he was so moved by what he heard that he was compelled to start a friendship with the preacher. And even though these men shared completely differing viewpoints when it came to faith in Christ, George Whitfield never stopped trying to reach Ben Franklin with the gospel. In 1752, Franklin received what could have been called the most important letter to ever come across his desk. The letter came from the hand of George Whitfield, and here is what the preacher wrote to the politician. He said, quote, I find that you grow more and more famous in the learned world, and you have made such progress in the investigation of the mysteries of electricity. Keep in mind, by this time, he'd already done his experiment with the kite and the lightning and the key. I now humbly urge you, my friend, to give diligent heed to the mystery, watch this, of the new birth. It is a most important and interesting study, and when mastered, will richly repay you for all your pains. And then speaking of Jesus, he said, One at whose bar we must shortly appear, hath solemnly declared that without it, without the new birth, we cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, history is not clear whether Ben Franklin heeded George Whitfield's words and trusted in Christ as Savior, but I think that friendship between a humble preacher and a world-famous scientist and statesman is very reminiscent of the relationship that we see in Scripture between Jesus and Nicodemus. Now, here in John chapter 3, we have one of the most important conversations ever recorded. And what's interesting about it is the contrasting personalities. First, we have Nicodemus. He was a man of distinction from the Pharisees. Nick was religious. He was respected. He was rational. His name means superior. And yet, here, this very prestigious man comes seeking Jesus the penniless preacher from Galilee who has no earthly rank or no degrees to speak of. And this pairing of, of Jesus and Nicodemus 
is about as odd as Whitfield and Franklin. But we're going to eavesdrop here this morning on this conversation in John chapter 3, this dialogue between Jesus and Nick at night. And here we find out that even though Nick was impressive on his resume in terms of his human standards, Jesus is going to reveal to him that he lacked the very thing that God required most, and that is the new birth. So here we see Nicodemus sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning that a person may boast of brains and bucks and beauty, but yet if they are not born again, they will miss out on salvation. And so we're talking this morning about the traits of the twice born. And I want you to notice with me, number one, the requirement of the new birth. The requirement of the new birth. Read with me, beginning in verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was the best kind of person that religion and education and culture could produce. His credentials put him at the very top of the list of Jerusalem's elites. As a Jew, he had pedigree as one of God's chosen people. As a Pharisee, he had purity according to all of their religious traditions that they observed. As a ruler, he had power and prestige that came with being one of the 71 selected to serve on a, the supreme court of, of justices, if you will, called the Sanhedrin. And so somebody has well wrote that Nicodemus was a man of high moral character, deep religious hunger, and profound spiritual blindness. And don't you think that Jesus' comments as he talks about the new birth to this very learned man left him stunned and probably he had to pick his jaw up off the ground. Because here, for the first time in his life, this illustrious man, this refined man, discovered, hey, that God is not impressed by the things that impress us. God's not impressed by your ancestry or by your accomplishments or by your affluence or by your ability. Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You see, friend, the best man is still a man at best. Now, what does this mean? This cryptic spiritual saying of Jesus, you must be born again. Well, I want to point out to you a few reasons why we must be born again, and then I want to explain to you how this relates. So why must we be born again? Well, we have to be born again because of, watch this, our spiritual deadness. Our spiritual deadness. Friend, we are born into this world as sinners, which means, according to the Bible, we're spiritually dead, and we are separated from God by our trespasses. Ephesians 2, 1 and 2 declares that you and I, before Christ, are spiritually the walking dead. Look what Paul says. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons 
of disobedience. Friend, if you have a corpse and you dress it up and you spray perfume on that corpse, it won't make it alive. A corpse does not need religion. It needs regeneration. It needs God's new life from above. Adrian Rogers said this. He said, quote, if any religious or moral person thinks that he or she can go to heaven without being born again, then they are grossly ignorant of two things. They don't know how sinful he is, and he doesn't know how holy God is. You see, friend, religion whitewashes us on the outside, but regeneration washes us clean on the inside. Religion can put new clothes on a man, but regeneration will put a new man in the clothes. Religion will take an old leaf and turn it over, but regeneration is taking the power of Christ and creating a new life where once there was death. Friend, listen to me this morning. Jesus did not come to make bad people good. Jesus did not come to make us more respectable or more religious. He did not come even to bless us with health and wealth. Jesus came to make dead people alive. We must be born again because of spiritual deadness. We also must be born again because of our spiritual desires. Now the Bible says in verse 1 and 2 that he came, Nicodemus, to Jesus by night. That's why I reference that little phrase, Nick at night. Now the theologians have spilled a lot of ink, kind of wondering why Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Some say that it was so that he might escape any kind of persecution from his Pharisee brothers. And that may be true. It could be that, that Nick came to Jesus at that time of day for that reason, under the cover of darkness, because he wanted a secret meeting with Jesus. But you know what? I think that Nicodemus came to Jesus because he had unmet spiritual desires. You're talking about a guy who knew the Old Testament backwards, forwards, frontwards, and back. Here's a guy who had explored every nook and cranny of Judaism, and he knew everything about it. He was a Pharisee, a, a Sanhedrin, and yet, after exploring all of that, he was left with emptiness inside. And I think that's exactly why he comes and seeks after Jesus. He saw the miracles. He heard the teaching. He knew there was something about this Christ that we've never seen before. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said. He said, quote, God made us as a man invents an engine. A car is made of petrol. And just so, God designed the human engine to run on himself. That is why God can give us happiness and peace apart from himself because there is no such thing. Isn't it interesting how folk will try every single thing in the world before they come to Jesus and try him? Uh, they'll try partying. They'll try premarital sex. Uh, they'll try politics. They'll try power and money. They'll try success. Uh, they'll try a life of debauchery. They'll try drugs and alcohol. Most people will try everything in the world and find out that it's a broken cistern, but then when they come to Jesus, they will find the one in whom fills the greatest hole, the greatest depth in their soul. You see, the Bible says that God has put eternity into the heart of man. 
I was showing a video this past week on Wednesday night to my class as we were talking about sharing your faith. It was an interesting video about Elon Musk. Many of you know that name. He's the, he's the world's wealthiest man now, I believe. He's the CEO of two corporations, of SpaceX and of Tesla. And you see more of those vehicles driving around the road uh, these days. But a man who by every uh, letter of the, of the word is success personified. Has all the money that he could ever want. Has all the notoriety. He was Time's Man of the Year. You would think a guy as brilliant as that who could invent an electric car and send a, a spaceship uh, up into the atmosphere. A guy like that would have the answers to life. And Yet as we watched that video, we saw the interviewer asking him a question about was he, did he believe in God? Did he know the purpose of life? And this guy fumbled and stumbled as brilliant as he was, as rich as he was, as famous as he was. He still did not know the reason for why God had put him on the earth. And friend, that should tell us something, that the philosophers don't have the answers, that the university campus won't give you the desire uh, that you're searching for, that riches and fame and, and success and the things of this world will not fill you up. Only Jesus Christ and, and being born again can bring to you that which you desire. So we have to be born again because of our spiritual desires and because of our spiritual deadness, but then also we must be born again because of our spiritual destiny. Our spiritual destiny. Let's face it, everyone will live forever in one of two places. It's either heaven or hell. And those who are not born twice will die twice. You see, if you're born once, you die twice. You see, the Bible uh, talks about the first, the physical death. That's where the soul is separated from the body. Then there is what the Bible calls the second death. That's where the soul is separated from God in a place called hell. Revelation 20, verses 14 and 15 tells us about that. It says there, if anyone's name is not found written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be thrown in the lake of fire, which is the second death, the Bible says. And so, friend, we can either go to heaven God's way or we can go to hell our own way. In 1967, there was a brilliant physician, a man by the name of Dr. Christian Bernard. He became the first surgeon to ever do a heart transplant. Now today, it seems like they can do that procedure and you're sitting at home the next day. But in 1967, the first heart transplant surgery. And the story goes that after a successful operation, Dr. Bernard asked his patient, would you like to see your old heart? The man was interested in a kind of a macabre way. Wouldn't it be fascinating to see your old heart? And so Dr. Bernard went to a cupboard, and he took down a glass container, and inside of that was the man's old heart, and he handed that container over to the patient. And the man sat there in stunned disbelief and in silence and Dr. Bernard said to the man sir do you realize that you are the first man in history to hold his heart in his hands and the man said this as he sat there he handed it back to the doctor and he said doctor you can have this he said this is that old heart that gave me so much trouble 
And friend, I tell you that story to say that we could say the same thing about our spiritual prognosis today. The heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. That is why we must be born again because it's the sinful heart of man that is the source of all our heartache, all our trouble, all our pain. Hey, listen to me. My problem today is not because of my parents. My problem is not because of the government or society. I can't point the finger of blame today at my level of education or my economic standing. Uh, your problem today, friend, is not your gender or your sexual orientation. Your problem today, friend, is not your skin color. Your problem is the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so that's why we must be born again. See, we've got a culture today that wants to push the finger of blame on everybody else and don't take responsibility. But Jesus pointed to this learned man, this educated man, this religious man, this respectable man and said, it's not good enough. You must be born again. Friend, I think we all could agree this morning when I say that America needs Jesus. Hey, have you ever seen a country fall apart like ours? Maybe you've read about it in the history books. Well, friend, we've got a first row seat to watch the Titanic go down. And listen, our problem is not political. It's not racial. Our problem is not economic. Our problem today in this country is spiritual. Hey, if I had five minutes to go up to Washington, D.C. and talk to the House of Representatives and the Senate, if I could get in the Oval Office and talk to the President himself, you know what I would tell him? I'd tell him the same thing that Jesus told Nicodemus. Hey, you must be born again. You want to help this country? You want to see success? You want to see blessing? You want to see God turn us back from the brink? Then get on your fans and knees and ask God to save you. Hey, if I had five minutes to go uh, down to the media moguls, if I had five minutes to spend with Hollywood celebrities, I would tell them, hey, it doesn't matter what's in your bank account. It doesn't matter that you've got followers and that people know your name. It doesn't matter that you are well known in the world. You must be born again. If I had five minutes to go uh, to Los Angeles today and sit before the Los Angeles Rams and the Cincinnati Bengals, I would say to those athletes, these wonderful spectacles of human of, uh, ability, and I would say to them, hey guys, uh, trophies fade. In three or four years, people are going to forget your name. They won't even remember that who won this game. But I'll tell you what will live forever. The name above all names, Jesus Christ. And if I had five minutes to talk to Joe Burrow, if I had five minutes to talk to the Super Bowl athletes, I'd tell them, hey, you must be born again. Win or lose, you must be born again. Friend, could you imagine what could happen in our country if this right here took hold in our schoolhouse, in our jailhouse, in our courthouse, in the White House, and in your house? you were born again you see some of you are trusting in the wrong things today you're trusting in church attendance you're trusting in being a good religious moral person you're trusting in my grandpa and grandpa helped build the church you're trusting in all these other things and I'm telling you Jesus says you must be born again that's the requirement 
of the new birth. Then number two, I want you to see the reality of the new birth. Notice what the Bible says here, verses 4 through 8. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? (laughs) How can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When Jesus taught Nicodemus about the new birth, this learned man could not get his mind around it. Nicodemus is thinking physically. And Jesus is speaking to him spiritually. And indeed, there is a great mystery involved in the new birth. It is a miracle, after all, when a sinner comes to Christ and God gives him a new life. But you know what? That shouldn't keep us from faith just because we don't understand everything about the mystery and the miracle of salvation. I don't have to understand everything about electricity to enjoy the light. I don't need to know all there is about my iPhone to know the intricacies of GPS, but I can use my phone to find my way when I'm lost. And the same is true about salvation. I wrote this down in my notes this week. Faith is the place where human reason ends and where the Word of God begins. You see, Nicodemus is trying to reason his way Into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, no, 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 Nick, it's not like that. But here's an analogy to help you understand. And he gives, Jesus gives this wonderful illustration of the new birth and how we can understand the unknown from the known. Now, there's many parallels between a physical birth and a spiritual birth. So I want to define what does this mean to be born again? The reality of the new birth. What does it mean? Well, it first off points to a new conception a new conception every birth is the result of a conception between two parents right we all understand biology 101 and just so the new birth happens when the parents of the word of God and the spirit of God come together in the womb of faith Jesus mentioned in this text water and spirit verse 5 of chapter 3 Now, if you do your study in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, you'll see that water, as he talks about there in the text, water is a symbol of the Word of God. Paul refers to this in Ephesians 5, verse 26, when he relates how Christ cleanses his bride, watch this, through the washing of the water with the Word. So what is Jesus saying here? When the Spirit of God and the Word of God, which is symbolized by water, come together, then you have a new birth. First Peter 1 and verse 23, we read that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which abideth forever. This is one reason why the church is in the sad state that it's in today. This is why you can have a church full of people who come week in and week out, and they're not saved and they're not born again. You say, how is that? Because we have a lot of churches where the word of God is not being preached. And you can walk into church instantly and recognize whether the spirit of God is in that place or not. 
And when the word of God is being neglected, when the word of God is being diluted, when the word of God is not being preached in its fullness and in its glory, the Holy Spirit has nothing to work with and nothing to bless. That's why if you visit a church or you go to a church and they don't open the word of God and they don't preach from it, you pick yourself up and you walk out that front door and you find you a preacher who preaches to you the word of God. When the word of God is preached and the spirit of God quickens the heart, then a child of God is born. That's what Jesus is getting at here. There's one more detail that's very interesting though. Just as you did nothing to bring about your conception, we contribute nothing to our spiritual birth. We don't add anything to what God can do. It's, it's not about what we can do. It's about what He has done. John 1, 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, to Him He gave the right to become the children of God and to those who believe in His name, watch this, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So it's a new conception. It's also a new creation. When a baby is born, you have a unique life created. When God made you, He threw away the mold, as they say. There's a unique DNA in the heart of that boy or girl. They have a, their own signature fingerprint. No one like it in all of the, what are we up to now? Seven billion people in the world. The Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made because there's only one of us. Not only that, a baby has no past, only a future. And so when we are born again, the Bible says that what happens is a tiny miracle. Listen to what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become, what is it, church? New. When we're born again, we're given a fresh start. We're given a New beginning. A sinful past is wiped away. Why? Because it's a new creation. I love that story that Billy Graham tells in one of his books about he was having a crusade. And he said a very learned, a very distinguished doctor, a physician, attended the crusade. And this doctor asked if he could meet Dr. Graham personally. And he waited around till all the crowds had left and he got an audience with Billy Graham, and the doctor began to tell Dr. Graham about his, his life. And he said to Billy that he'd been an atheist for most of his life, and that he'd sought satisfaction through achievement. If I can just get that next letter after my name, if I can just get uh, that good grade in class, uh, then people will notice me and I'll feel significant. And then he made lots of money and he thought, well, if I buy this extra house or drive this extra truck, then I, I will have peace and contentment in my heart. And then he thought, well, when that was empty, well, he thought maybe it's through serving people. And so it was through charity and through all these different ways that he tried to fill the void in his life. But the doctor made the remark, he said, sir, as I was sitting out there in the crowd and I heard you talk about ye must be born again. The doctor said, Mr. Graham, for the first time, it all made sense in my life. He said, you see, I've been to countless delivery rooms, and I've brought many babies into this world. And he said, there's one thing that every baby has in common. He says, a baby comes out, and they have no yesterdays. 
only tomorrows. And he said, if God can do that for me, I'll have it. Oh, thank God my yesterday's gone. Thank God for a new start. Thank God for a new creation in Jesus Christ. Thank God when I couldn't do it and I didn't have the answers and I couldn't pull myself up by my own bootstraps. There was a God in heaven who reached way down and he birthed a new thing in the heart of this old carcass right here. Friend, listen to me today. I don't know who needs to hear this, but hear me well. You're not too dirty that God can't cleanse you. You're not too broken that God can't fix you. You're not too far that God can't reach out and pull you up out of the pit and the mire that you're in. Uh, You're not too dirty that God can't forgive you and cleanse you. And you're not so worthless that God can't love you. Oh, friend, thank God for a new creation. And there's something else here today. There's a new character. A new character. Let's read this text one more time to remind ourselves that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, Jesus taught Nicodemus a, a basic of biology. That like begets like. Our earthly parents pass on to us a character, a nature, whether that's good or whether that's bad. And friend, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said to me, are you Joe McCarson's son? I've been marked up pretty bad, Dad. But they say, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. In other words, what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying, look, there's a family resemblance. When you're born again, you get a new character. Just as we are born from above, we inherit a new character from the Heavenly Father. Second Peter verses 1 and 4 says, we are partakers of the divine nature. You see, somebody who is truly born again will exhibit a family resemblance. That's why some people in our culture are very confused when Christians say, oh, I'm born again, oh, I know Jesus, oh, I've been changed, and they don't live any differently than their co-workers the other six days of the week. You see, if you've been born again, God's going to give you a different character. God's going to make you new. God's going to change you. There will be a desire for the Word of God. Hey, if you're truly born again, I shouldn't have to beg somebody to come to the house of God. You ought to want to be with God's people and hear God's word and raise your hands in praise to the God who made you new. I run into that all the time. Oh, preacher, I love God, but I don't go to church. Hey, if you love Jesus, you're going to love the things that Jesus loves. And Jesus loves the church. And he loves sinners. And if you don't love the church and don't love sinners, it's time for a heart check. You'll love the things that God loves. You'll hate the things that God hates. When God calls something evil and twisted and not right, something's going to rise up in you and say, no, that's not right. It's not okay to kill a baby in the womb. It's not okay for you to tell your kid that they get to decide whether they want to be a boy or a girl. It's not okay to let some of the foolishness happen in our culture. 
some of the wickedness that we see. If you are born again, you'll have the character of God. This is Jesus' point by using the analogy of the wind. There'll be a difference in somebody's walk and talk. You see, when you see the wind blowing, you don't actually see the wind, but what you see are the effects of the wind. And just so with the Holy Spirit, you may not be able to see the moving and the power and the activity of the Holy Spirit, but when you look at the effects in somebody's life, hey, you don't think the same way you used to. You don't talk the same way you used to. You don't hang out with the same folks that you used to. I remember when you used to drink and you used to smoke and you used to do this and so. What is it that's different about you? Well, I met Jesus and I'm born again. I love Harry Ironside, the old preacher from yesteryear. He told the story about in his younger days he was doing street preaching. One day he was out on a windy Chicago street corner and he was preaching the gospel to anybody who would stop by and give him five minutes. Well, a crowd began to gather around Ironside for about 20 or 30 people they gathered and they started responding to the preacher's message. Well, one man stepped forward and he challenged the preacher. He accosted Mr. Ironside and he said, he said, Sir, I'd like to challenge you to a debate. He said, I'm an atheist and I'm a college professor just right down the road. He said, I'd like the chance to debate you in public because I don't believe anything that you're preaching about. Everything that you're talking about with God is pure rubbish. Mr. Ironside agreed. So the date was set and the event was publicized. Little old preacher, Dr. Ironside wasn't pastor of Moody Church at that time. He wasn't really much of anybody. This little old quaint preacher was going to debate this big, illustrious college professor. Well, there was a buzz on campus. The auditorium was filled. The day of the debate, the atheist came forward, and he got to speak first, and he presented his case. And he waxed eloquent with all kinds of philosophy and all kinds of arguments about why God didn't exist and why the Bible couldn't be trusted and why it was all a bunch of hogwash. And then it was Mr. Ironside's turn. Mr. Ironside, he, he didn't really talk very much. He, he didn't give some kind of eloquent defense. Instead, he said, I want you to see uh, Exhibit A. And he brought somebody on the stage. And he said, tell your testimony. This person began to speak. I was once a drunk. I sold everything I had for the next bottle of booze. But then I met Jesus through the preaching of this man. And now today, I'm set free from alcoholism. And then he said, and now look at exhibit B. And this beat up uh, girl who obviously had lived a hard life came up on the stage and she said, I want you to know I was worthless. I was trash. I was a prostitute. But I want you to know that today Jesus loves me and Jesus redeemed me and I've got a new hope and a new future. And then he brought up exhibit C. Exhibit number three came up and they gave a testimony of how they were converted gloriously to Jesus Christ. I was a thief and I spent time in jail. But there in the jail cell the preacher came and visited me and I found hope and glory in my Savior. And it was just one right after the other of conversion, of testimony, of the power of God to change a life. And it was clear that the new birth could not be denied. And Ironside, finally, he wrapped up, he challenged his opponent, he pointed to the atheist, he said, Sir, can you present one witness today 
besides yourself who can positively say that their life was changed for the good because of atheism. And the man remained silent as he walked out of the crowd. Somebody asked me the other day, they say, do you still believe in miracles? You better believe I do because i got a whole church full of them, of redeemed people, of born-again people who used to be dead, who used to be godless, who used to be wretched, and then Jesus came in and changed them from the inside out. Don't ask me if I believe in miracles. I've seen them happen right down here at the altar. I see it every Sunday of how God can take a sinner and God can take a miserable wretch and God can take a young person and an old person and a rich person and a whosoever will and make them new in Jesus name a new character and then there's a new certainty I promise I'm going to finish on time a new certainty you know it would be foolish for me to ask you have you been born what a dumb question to ask somebody, right? If I asked you, you wouldn't say, I hope so. You'd say, I know so. There's a certainty. Because if you're alive, then at some point in the past, there had to be a birth. And just so, notice this, the new birth brings a certainty about our spiritual life. If I ask you, have you been born again, and you hem and haw around, and you can't give me a definite answer, and you're backwards and forward, oh, I believe in God, and oh, I pray every once in a while, and I go to church, and my parents were, no, I asked you, are you born again? If you can't give me a certain answer, then friend, you may have not met the master. You see, salvation isn't a hope so, it's an I know so. As I remember where I was, I remember how low I was, I remember the questions on my heart, I remember the sin staining my record, and I remember when I got my spiritual birthday. When I made my calling and election sure, there was a definite change, there was a turning point, there was I was going down the road of hell and destruction, but I turned 180 degrees to walk with Jesus. 1 John 5, 12 and 13, one of those assurance passages, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Not I once walked an aisle, not I once prayed a prayer, not I once got a church membership card. You have to have the Son. These things I have written for you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you know. If ever there was a time when you want to know what you believe and why you believe it, it's today. It's now. When you can't tell good from bad, it's all gray out there in the world. My goodness. Friend, if you could have salvation and not know it, you could lose it and not miss it. I love the old song that the primitive quartet sings. I won't torture you. I won't sing it myself, but I love the words of that song. Satan tells me that I only thought I got saved. He tells me what a fool I've been. But when my mind goes back to that old bench where I prayed, I know I've been born again. Born again, free from sin. I'm happy all the night and day. He makes me shout, there's no doubt I've been born again. 
That's the requirement of the new birth and the reality of the new birth. And then I'm going to finish today. I told you I was going to finish on time. Number three, the receiving of the new birth. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you not the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say unto you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but to you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you of these heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. Watch this, verse 14, very important. And Moses, as he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus used an illustration from the Old Testament to help Nicodemus make sense of it all. In verse 14, Jesus referred to an episode from Numbers chapter 21 during the wilderness wandering where Moses and the Israelites were complaining and bickering and complaining to God, longing to go back to Egypt. And in that story, the Bible says that as Moses was leading Israel uh, out of Egypt and into the promised land, that the people began whining and complaining. And God had had enough. I can relate. When you're going on a long trip with kids, and you got three of them in the back fighting, screaming, scratching, and asking, when are we going to be there? <laughs> but as punishment for their lack of faith, God, the Bible says, sent a slew of poisonous serpents to bite the people. He judged his people. And as they cried out in torment and as they were dying of snake bite, God gave Moses an unusual remedy. He told Moses, he says, fashion a bronze serpent and attach it to a pole and lift it up and all those who look on the bronze serpent will be instantly healed of their snake venom. Well, as the people were going through that strange ritual, and as the Bible bears out, they did not understand it at that point, but actually Jesus makes it clear here they were acting out the gospel in the Old Testament about Christ and His saving power, how all of that was modeled there in that story that Jesus mentioned to Nicodemus. I want you to consider the parallels as we close today. Just as Israel was bitten by serpents and under a death sentence for their sin, so too we are bitten by the serpent of sin and we suffer death. The serpent on a pole was looking forward to who? Jesus Christ hanging on a cross. The serpent was a picture of sin. And it was the instrument of God's wrath. Likewise on the cross, Jesus became sin for us. And he was the object of God's wrath, taking our punishment. Finally, the saving power was the result of faith, not of works. All the people, in order to be cured, all they had to do was look and live. And that's the message of the gospel. Look to Christ and live. The new birth is available to a whosoever will. Several years ago, actually it was 1850. It's a terrible blizzard that moved in on England. And all of England was kind of paralyzed by this sudden storm that flew in. One Sunday morning, there was a young 15-year-old boy who was walking through the streets of his little town there in England when this blizzard hit, and the snow was a whiteout condition. It happened to be a Sunday morning. And he was so cold, he was so frozen to the bone, 
He'd been sent out to do an errand, but he, he couldn't make it. And he was so cold that he thought, well, I see this church is open down on the street. And he got inside the church just to get warm for a little bit. And he did what some of you do. He went to the back row. <laughs> I love back row Baptists too. He went to the back row and he tried not to be noticed. Well, the story goes that the storm was so bad that it even prevented the preacher from coming that day to preach the sermon. And so, Minister of Music and the deacon just kind of looked at each other. Well, what do we do? And so the little deacon got up and he opened his Bible. He turned to one little verse. And he just started preaching the best he could. He wasn't very educated. He, he didn't know much of the Bible. And he said, look and live. Look to Christ and live. A man not need go to college to learn to look. A man not be rich to look or even of much faith to look. Anyone can look. A child can look. An old person can look. And about that time, the old deacon layman looked in the back of the church and he saw little Charles Spurgeon, 15 years old, sitting in the corner trying not to be noticed. And he pointed his little bony finger and he said, You back there, young man, you look quite miserable in your life. Why don't you look to Jesus and live? And on a cold, blustery winter day in England, January 6, 1850, 15-year-old Charles Spurgeon came down to an altar and nobody knew that he was going to be the prince of preachers. That he was going to be one of the greatest men of God. But all it took was a little deacon opening up his Bible and saying, Look and live. And that's my message to you today. Are you thinking about eternity? Have you been born again? It's so easy. All you have to do is look and live. Look to the cross where he died in your place. Look to the cross where there's mercy for the sinner. Look to the cross where there's still amazing grace. The musicians are coming, and as we prepare for this time of invitation, I know that in a church this size, as many people as here today, there's somebody that's been moved by the, by the message, by the Word of God. Hey, are you really truly born again? What are you trusting in today? Do you have a spiritual birthday that you can point to? Hey, if you can't, the altar's open. Hey, if you've got something going on in your life, no matter how big or small, no matter how dark, no matter how tragic, come today and let Jesus give you a new start. Maybe you just need prayer. Maybe you say, Preacher, I'm looking for a church and I think I found one today. Preacher, I need to be baptized and follow through in obedience. Whatever the need is today, you be obedient as we stand and as we listen to uh, Brother Preston as he leads us today. Let's do what God's will is in the moment.